So, good evening for the second time. Thank you all for for inviting me here and your hosts for inviting me, for all of you for coming. And um, it was suggested that I speak about the nature of transcendence, which is obviously a big topic, and what can you say about that? Um, transcendence is, is practically an archaic word in our society, unfortunately, a medieval word that is not uh, often voiced in philosophical discourse of our day. Even the word metaphysics is, is often thought to be um, outdated, but hard to get away from, actually, because really of the, uh, the limits of the physical, if you will, to uh, do justice to all that the human experience is about. But if we are to talk about transcendence, the nature of it, uh, it may be useful to invoke a, a phrase from the Tantra, um, a section of the sacred texts of the East. It goes something like this, uh, as above, so below, or as below, so above. Hmm? So the obvious implication is that the world below, if you will, uh, or as it's, we can only use language, we're limited. <laughs> but um, the world below is the world we find ourselves in, and the world above is the, uh, is the transcendent world. <clears throat> and apparently from the adage or phrase from the Tantra, they're similar. Hopefully they're different too. Um, to be one and different at the same time does sound like a very intriguing idea that transcends logic and indeed such is the nature of transcendence we would hope that it would reach beyond the limits of reason because after all, as we say in common English parlance, love knows no reason for good reason. <clears throat> Still, love should be wise, hmm? but pick up where reason, good reason, that leads to love, leaves off. Hmm. So as above, so below. Hmm. While there's similarity, we might think of the difference in a general sense in terms of the picture, if you will, of a reflection. So... As we know, the, 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 the form and its reflection in the mirror are the same. The tree growing on the banks of the river and its reflection in the, in the waters are the same. But there's also a big difference between the two. Everything's turned around backwards. The tree in the water is upside down, and on the land it's right side up. And our reflection in the mirror, everything's turned around. Hmm? So there's a similarity to transcendence. The thought is uh, with with, uh, with 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 the world of our present experience, but there's a big difference also, hmm? and the difference is the center. Hmm? So I want to get to that, but 
um, if if it's true that that as above so below, then we should be able to look at the below, as I say, and get a good idea of of, of what's above. And I think that there are some common sense ways in which we think about ourselves, which correspond with how we experience life, um, that most people kind of go with, in a general sense, as to what life in human time is like. In other words, um, we all have a sense of self. And that sense of self is very is really, in one sense, entirely private. It's a, um, and it's, uh, I want to say, mental. Hmm? In other words, we are a unit of experience. Hmm? And we have various experiences through the medium of our senses, for example. Hmm? And based on those experiences, this sense of self kind of mental self kind of forms. What I mean to say is that we have likes and dislikes and goods and bads, happies and sads, what may be hot for you may be cold for me. And so these readings, if you will, on the part of the senses, so to speak, as instruments of the world below, whatever it is, whatever's out there, uh, informs our mental um, theater of experience, and those experiences are private. I feel it. You may see it's red. I may also see it's, see it's red, but it's still different. <laughs> for you, it may be darker. For you, it may, may, it may be lighter, and so on. It's unique, private. Hmm? And so, and in this, this mental realm, if you will, hmm, where the self is kind of constructed, where it resides... Again, it's a very private realm. And there, where all the happiness and sadness, happiness and distress come from. They don't, it's not really in the body. It's right, it's in the, it's in the mind. So if your mind is not connected to your body, I could do something to it and you wouldn't experience. We're all in the same room. It's a little dark, but <laughs> we're all seeing something. And there are things that we're not seeing. We're all listening, and there are some things that we're not hearing because our mind is also somewhere else. And uh, I may go out of the room and say, did you see that? That was really nice. And you may say, no, I didn't see that. Maybe your eyes crossed it, but your mind was somewhere else, and the mind didn't connect with the sense which connected, sense of sight which connected with a particular form, and so it was an experience that didn't register. Hmm? So mind is central then. To experiencing, it's the um, uh, it's experienced as if it is the theater of experience. This is a very um, uh, Cartesian sensibility hmm? um, that um, really does speak about how we experience life hmm? and the self. If we kind of try to deconstruct it a little bit. And um, also, in this regard, we feel this intuitively, universally intuitive kind of sensibility that our cognitive functions in the mind where that self is, 
informs our actions. So in other words, we think about things, we make decisions, and then we, we carry them out with the body. We do them. We feel that there, there's a self. It's mental and has causal efficacy hmm, in the world. This is universally intuitive. Now, intuition doesn't always mean you're right, because I might intuit, I think we should turn left here, and maybe we should have gone straight. And so... We don't always rely on our intuitions, but when the intuition is universal, it tends to have a little bit more credence. Hmm? Still, there are universal things that we intuit that are very wrong, hmm? that aren't that are proven. For example, are thought to be proven to be to be not so. Say, let's say by science, by observation, and so forth. Hmm? They become superstitions, and they're retired, and so forth. Hmm? But this is a very core intuitive sensibility that we have. And it's a very reasonable one also. In other words, the intuitive sensibility that I'm speaking of is that I am, I exist as a self that's a private kind of mental construct of some sort. I I live in there somewhere. I'm there. Me, and I experience things as I do. And, and, and that is the, the basis of, of reality. Uh, Bertrand Russell, in his famous, uh, I forget the name of it now, his, his, his paper on the nature of matter, hmm, came to the conclusion that all we really know is our conscious thoughts and experiences. Hmm. Um, so the logic here, we're speaking of an intuitive, sens- intuitive sensibility, and I'm saying that intuitive sensibility is also supported by reasoning. The reasoning being that, that to say that, con- that conscious thought, as I'm speaking about it, is not primary. Hmm? And, the, and, and, and the, the, that my being is not grounded in that. Hmm? Is like saying... I'm dead. That would be, philosophically speaking, a, a, a performative contradiction. You cannot say, I'm dead, because you have to be alive to say that you're dead. Hmm? So I cannot say that consciousness is not primary, not, not the ground from which everything else comes, because it requires consciousness to say that. Hmm? So there's good reasoning to support our intuitive sensibilities. Hmm? that we have a self, we are a self. Hmm? It's experiential. And it is the very ground or theater of experience. And in that sense, our self is very different from that which is experienced in the objective world that's non-experiential. You follow me? So matter, if you will, is, is as we're talking about at the moment, non-experiential. And we are a unit of experiential reality. We experience matter and we make it matter. Hmm? Without us, you know, if it mattered, who would know? <laughs> who would care? Right? So, so this is very interesting. Um, I've thought at times that if I was to be asked what was my, the most profound experience I've had in life, I might say the fact that I experience Hmm? That's very extraordinary. Hmm? 
because it seems unreasonable to me that no matter how we could combine material ingredients that make up all the things and the stuff of matter, it would be hard to imagine that we could combine it in a certain way that it would suddenly start to experience. You follow me? We don't expect a billiard ball, and I don't play pool, but I had when I was a kid. You know, you put the chalk on the thing and you shoot the ball and it goes and hits another ball and goes in the hole and so forth. And we would never expect one of those billiard balls to say, ouch, or, could you put a little more chalk on there or something like that. that we laugh at that. It's, you know, it's silly, obviously. Hmm? Well, some people don't think it's that silly, actually. Right? Some very educated people. We would have to get to that. But, um, but the point there being is that the stuff that the billiard ball is made out of is the same stuff that our brains are made out of. Same physical stuff. It's just a different combination. Hmm? But some people think that that we are a brain and that there is no mind or the mind is an emergent property of the brain. It's not causal um, and the world is only physical. Hmm? It's only natural. Not a, there's no transnatural reality. Hmm? We want to call it naturalism, physicalism, materialism. These are all different ways, nuanced ways of trying to say there's nothing trans transnatural. Hmm? There is, and and there is no self that you intuitively sense there is, and with good reason we we we, we think there is. So what if you intuitively sense it, and everybody does? What if there's good reason for it? What if scientifically we could observe and prove that there wasn't there? Then what? Then life doesn't answer to reason and intuition and so forth. And so there are some people who are vested in this idea of thinking of this world, the world below, as one that is everything. It's only physical. Physicalism to say naturalism, materialism, and many, many nuanced forms of them in philosophical discourse today, but they all really come to the same conclusion. There is no supernatural, there is no um, transnatural, might be a more friendly way to talk about it, um, less foreboding, perhaps, uh, <laughs> um, realm. There is no transcendence, in other words. And as I said at the beginning, transcendence is not really part of the vocabulary, for the most part, to a large part, of philosophical discourse in the educated uh, world today, unfortunately. And so there are some persons who are invested in saying, in convincing us that the way you experience life is not really what life is like. There is no real self in there. That um, that self is, is really a brain. Mind is only a brain. And this is, of course, a reductive idea that mind is reduced to brain. And even if mind emerges from the brain, it's rooted in matter, in the physical, and it doesn't have causal efficacy having emerged. And these are some uh, of the popular currents in analytic philosophy, philosophy informed by science and observation and so forth. Hmm. Um, That might be a little disconcerting, but why live in a fantasy? Hmm? Would be would be the would be the response. We have to get to uh, the nature of 
reality and so forth. And um, after all, we find that many of the things that we think we do are actually done by the brain, the we being a mind, a mental self. And there's so much correspondence between brain states and what we call a mind that this this correlation is so great that there's a there's a tendency to want to make a, a little bit of a jump and say that correlation and causation hmm? correlation proves causation that brain causes mind or that mind is really only brain hmm? and but that little leap is about as big as the Atlantic Ocean or the Grand Canyon hmm? in terms of an explanatory gap hmm? that makes physicalism, naturalism, materialism a demonstrable, scientific, if you will, observable fact. Hmm? But materialism has a lot going for it at the same time because, um, after all, it more or less tells us that by acquisition, hmm, our life will be more fulfilling hmm? by acquiring, by conquering nature. Hmm? presiding over nature and manipulating her through technology from facts that we find that are neutral, that we manipulate them in certain ways to provide medicine, um, nuclear power, (laughs) um, and all kinds of things that arguably improve our lives. Maybe they don't in the long run. You know, that's also been seen in some instances and there could be problems with it, but um, but we are in, kind of invested a little bit in our bodies, in this bodily sense of self that I'm American or I'm Californian, I'm man or I'm woman, I'm this or I'm that. Hmm? It's this this mental self that corresponds with our bodily configuration and the input the senses give to the mind and so forth. Hmm? That sense of self, as much as we may believe in it, it feels a little un malnourished. It feels it needs something. We all feel a little a little needy. We need a partner. Maybe we need an offspring. We need shelter. We need um, food. We need a little bit more of this, a little bit more of that. And the idea is that by getting it, I'll be there. I just need one other wife or, you know, try again or whatever, whatever it may be, or husband. And so that's that, like, carrot, if you will, that the, the glitter, I would call it, of matter that that magically kind of entices us, that, that by acquisition, you will, the fulfillment will come. And so if we can manipulate nature in such a way as to provide more and more things, hmm? it might seem that we are on the road to fulfillment. Hmm? Um, That is the myth of the modern day. The myth, I would say, of modern science. That The myth that through science we will attain salvation. Hmm? Whether how, how, how... how desirable that salvation is is what comes to mind for me, because what would we, what would we be saved from, if you will, is the myth by science is the human weaknesses, hmm? the shortcomings that 
make us human, so to speak, that cause us to 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 um, fight with one another, have discord with one another, hmm? um, and uh, do things that we later regret, and so on and so forth. To be so be saved from that, hmm? from the hell of human frailty, and enter in the heaven of of robotic perfection, <laughs> where the only meaning is entirely imaginary. Hmm? You understand? Hmm? Meaning is entirely imaginary. If there's any overriding meaning in that heaven, it's the idea that there is no overriding meaning. Hmm? Hmm. This, to me, is not a very inviting form of heaven or salvation, and it's questionable uh, from a scientific point of view also, as I said. The explanatory gap that that makes physicalism or materialism a, f- a fact, if you will, an observable fact, is, is huge. And it's huge because there's a huge and categorical difference between experience and non-experience. Hmm? You take evolution, for example, Darwinian evolution. It it rides on the premise that material properties uh, arrange themselves in such a way as to kind of improve themselves, hmm? but not included in the theory is the idea that there will be absolutely unique and novel things that come out. Let's say of evolution. Let's say, for example, a reptile develops wings and flies. You could say that's pretty different, but really, it's only a different motor function, right? From walking with legs to moving wings, it's it's really not a categorical difference. It's one property kind of transforming itself. Hmm? Um, so what it transforms into is also found in some sense in that which was it transformed from. Hmm? Now consciousness, experience, is really, really different from non-experience. It's categorically different. That's why we laugh at the idea that the poo ball would suddenly say, hey, ouch, could you put me in that other hole over there? It's silly. It's magical thinking. But that is materialism. That is naturalism. That is physicalism. That is how silly it is, in one sense. It says that by combining matter in a certain way, suddenly it's going to start talking and feeling. That is... And any example of emergence in nature where something emerges from something else, in all those examples in nature, that which emerges is also present in some form, in that which it emerges from. Hmm? So there's nothing in the brain like a self, some part in there that you press on it, and, 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 and that's the self, the center of all experience. And again, experience is is the the antithesis of non-experience. And it makes no sense that experience would arise out of 
non-experience. A non-experiencing phenomena hmm, will not give rise to experience. This is the, the spiritual way of thinking about it. Hmm? So while we have an intuitive sense of how we live in the world and, and we have a mental self and so forth, many people in the scientific community and current philosophical trends think that that's, that's false. That's a false reading. There is no self. Hmm? Um, and um, and this is this is this this is there's a lot of problems with this because it leads to of course a sense of moral relativism also. Hmm? There's no overarching meaning. There's only physical forces, gravity, strong and weak nuclear forces, uh, whatever they are. Those magnetic forces moving and and. Molecules, atoms bouncing, and that's all there that's all there is. There's no there's no meaning to the whole thing. There's no there's no there's no leader to the, to the dance, to the, the song, there's no conductor. And the notes are not like entirely in harmony either. They're you know, it doesn't quite work like that. They're, so there's some harmony, but there's a lot of discord and randomness and, and so on and so forth. So in this idea you don't have any really ground for um, a good or a bad, these are arbitrary. They're human constructs that might be good for us, but of course it might be bad for someone else. Or, uh, but the problem goes deeper than that because if, if there is, from, with morality we speak of actions, so to speak, but also of intentions, so our cognitive functions also become absolutely meaningless. Hmm? So for me to contradict myself, that just that doesn't really doesn't really matter. We can't have a very reasonable discourse hmm, on the basis of this, the implications of this idea. Hmm. So better to revert to what White, Whitehead called um, the foot. You know the, that who he who West, from a Western point of view, he whose philosophy, everything else is a footnote. So I'm speaking about a very kind of Platonic idea here. Whitehead, the famous philosopher, he said that everything is, in Western philosophy is really a footnote to Plato. The problem is that the footnote has gotten bigger than the book. It really has. It's really extended. And um, the Platonic, I mean, basic Platonic idea is very similar to Vedanta, to the Indian idea, to the Eastern idea of a self. And um, and of tran- that there's a transcendence, that there are mathematical forms, if you will, that tra- that, that are non-physical, hmm? and uh, and the world, arguably, hmm? that uh, transcends time limitations and space. Hmm? So, I've talked a little bit about two perspectives on what life down below here is. We have our intuitive sensibilities that are reasonable, but then we have also some reason to think maybe those are wrong. Hmm? And the more we look at matter, the more we find uh, reason to do away with any idea of God and some other influence. I mean, the big problem that in one sense in the scientific community, the philosophy of mind and so forth, is that if there is something that's transnatural, 
immaterial, a mind, let's say, for example, how can it affect a physical reality? How will we measure it? We can't measure it. We can't measure it and dissect it and and so forth. We can't see it, therefore we don't believe it. And we think that we kind of got it figured out that all what all the forces are of the world and they all works pretty well and don't bring in something like from outside the world that that, that messes the whole thing up. Hmm? We think it's a, they think they like to think it's a closed system and it all works perfectly and of course then the quantum mechanical perspective came along and and, and brought determinism into, into question to some extent. Hmm? And um, and I'm questioning it hmm? also. Uh, I believe that there is something called will. Hmm? Hmm? And um, there is a uh, there is a that that consciousness, even mind, and I want to distinguish between the two. Let's talk with mind because that's what I've been talking about so far. Mind is uh, non-physical. So, how can a non-physical force influence a physical force? And if it does, we can't measure it, so we don't believe in it, and let's not talk about it. And the, and and then it brings up problems from my religion as a kid where I was told I couldn't do this, I couldn't do that, and I've got these psychological problems from being a Catholic, and I don't want to think about that kind of stuff anymore. So better be materialistic, or at least I'll be spiritual and not not religious and, and not even know what that means, maybe, but just feel good about it and uh, so on. So, um, <laughs> so... From perspective of the tradition of Vedanta that, that I'm a student of, the problem of how an immaterial mind could influence physical matter being categorically different is resolved to some extent or softened to some extent by the idea that there are two types of matter. There's physical matter and there's psychic matter. Now this is an idea that has some currency in modern science as well because of the fact that that explanatory gap that I was talking about that, that tries to make everything physical and reduce mind to the physical and do away with the self is, is, is just too big. To, you can't get over it. Hmm? It's super problematic. Hmm? Nobody has written anything that everybody agrees on, practically, in the field, hmm? from the material point of view. Hmm? Um, but there are some that think, well, we just have to expand the thing. After all, material physicalism is an expansion, really, of the idea of materialism. And naturalism is, is an expansion of the idea of physicalism. All expanding the non-transcendental to try to make things fit a little bit more. Hmm? But the point of view of Vedanta is that there's, there are two types of matter. Hmm? This would be kind of, this would be called a, a kind of property dualism that there are mental properties and there are physical properties. We don't know yet exactly how the, all the laws that govern the mental properties. But that's not such a stretch. I mean, at one point we thought without physical contact, there would be no motion. And then along came Newton, who saw an apple fall and there was no physical contact and something was moving. And when Newton came up with this, people thought, the guy's gone into the occult again, which we were just trying to get away from. Hmm? You know, modern science was born as a Christian. 
and it thought, let's do away with all the superstition and paganism and occultism and so forth, and with the help of science, we'll prove the one true God that uh, it's up there and nature's down here, and the two are different, one's profane, and the other is 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 perfect and and spiritual and beneficent, and, and so this is a classical theism where the world is separated from God entirely, and you have an environmental crisis on the, on the move, in its in seed form. Hmm? Um, that's all other subject, but um, it started out like this, and then uh, and Newton was you know one of the one of the movers and shakers in the field, and um, of course as it proceeded. Intelligent people in the scientific community moved away a little bit from kind of a Christian notion to a deistic notion that there's God, but He doesn't really influence the world because we can't measure that, and and so on. Um, but my point is only that Newton discovered gravity, and it was thought this that sounds magical. There can be motion without physical contact. You know, we posit that there's something called gravity. You know, you can't like really, you know, find it in a sense. So, in an expanded sense, I'm saying hmm, the idea of Vedanta is, and some people in the scientific philosophical community find some credibility to this idea that there is something called there is something called mind, hmm? and it's not the brain. It can't be reduced to the brain. And it's, it's, it's a, it has different properties than physical matter and operates under somewhat different laws, and we'll figure them out as we go here and, um, and so forth. This idea, hmm, while embraced by my particular school, nonetheless is not the whole picture. You may have noticed that I've been talking about physical and psychic, mind and body and so forth. Hmm? But as you know, there's mind, body, and what else? We're at the spirit house. How could, it, how could you get it wrong? <laughs> so there's something else, too. Hmm? So what is mind, and what is spirit, or what is consciousness proper? In our school, we look at mind as something that is a subtle kind of psychic form of matter that that has... Sub, a subjective, kind of quasi-subjective um, quality. Hmm? But it is the mediator between consciousness itself and physical matter. Hmm? Hmm? And so when you make mind and body psychic and physical matter, then it doesn't seem as much of a problem like how could psychic matter influence physical matter? Well, they're both matter. Hmm? And so you, you start to bridge that gap a little bit theoretically. Hmm? Um, but that said, that self, that mental sense of self that we talked about, that some people in the materialistic community think doesn't really exist, it's just a fantasy, it's all just a brain, as I've said. From our point of view, from the Vedanta point of view, we in one sense agree, not with your intuitive sensibility and the reasoning I spoke about, but with the scientific community that that self is false. Hmm? I don't say it's a brain. Hmm? I say it's a mind. Hmm? But in Vedanta, there's an idea, and many have experienced it, that there's something beyond things, the physical, and beyond what? 
thought, things in thought. Hmm? It's not that because I have eyes, I can see. They get in the way of my seeing. I am the seer. It's not that because I think, I know. Thinking gets in the way of my knowing. Try to digest that. Hmm? Thinking gets in the way of knowing, a knowing that is comprehensive, by which one feels, I don't need to know anything else. Hmm? I know that I am. And I am not a thought, neither a thing. Now there is a self that's made up of thoughts. Hmm? But that self is here today and it's gone tomorrow. Hmm? And it's always in flux too, what that self is. That self may say, I'm an American. And then I may decide, Donald Trump got elected. I'm an expatriate now. I'm out of here. <laughs> so, you know, I was American, now I'm an expatriate. You know, we can have, I can be a man like that fellow, Jenner, is it? Right? and he became a woman for all intents and purposes. So this uh, self can change. It will change, even if you don't want it to. Hmm? It's not something that's sat, to use a Sanskrit word, that's real in the sense that it endures. Hmm? It's here today and it'll be gone tomorrow. Ayurharati Vaipum Sanu Janastan Jayanaso. Nice poem from the Bhagavad. Ayurharati. Ayur, you know, Ayurveda, it's a form of medicine. You might have heard. Ayur means life. So, Ayurharati. Harati. The word Harati is what the word, that name of God, Hari, comes from. It means take away, steal. Ayurharati. Ayurharati Vaipum Sanu. The life of everyone as. We know it, ourself, as American, as man, as woman, as Indian, as mother, as daughter, as changing, hmm? as son, father. Hmm? That self, Ayurati Vaipum Sun, Ujanastantyana, so the rising and the setting of the sun, hmm? is taking away that self. Hmm? It's a very perfect, beautiful idea because we've all liked to watch the sun set here on the West Coast. Hmm? Um, you know, pretty much from California, so I've seen a lot of sunsets, and in the day we used to augment the experience a little bit. Hmm? <laughs> right? <laughs> so you get a little more color out of it, something. Um, but, <laughs> but the beauty of it, the beauty of it really, is in, is, is in one sense encapsulated in this profound little poem hmm? that it's killing you. That's beautiful. Hmm? doesn't sound beautiful at first. <laughs> With the rising and the setting of the sun, your sense of self is being taken away. Hmm? Hmm? You're living on death row. That doesn't sound very beautiful. But of course, the text doesn't stop there. Hmm? It paints a very Darwinian picture of the world in one sense. Jivo jivasta jivanam. One living being is food for another. And in order to try to maintain that self, we are struggling and acquiring and taking from the environment. Hmm? We are hunting from one point of view, and if we look over our shoulder, we are being hunted. Hmm? We've taken, and now we owe. Hmm? That's karma. You understand? We've taken from the environment. This conventional self, this mental self, hmm? it's different from the brain, but it's not you either. Hmm? 
This conventional self, we are attached to it. Hmm? We identify attachment with love when it's really not. It's ignorance and it's suffering. Hmm? The Gita says, Bhagavad Gita, Dukkha Yonayevate, the womb, hmm? from which suffer attachment is the womb from which suffering is born. This is a very, you know, this is the heart of divinity in the Hindu tradition, Krishna speaking the words of the, the wisdom of the Buddha, if you will. Hmm? In the Gita, Krishna says to Arjuna something like this, that attachment is the womb from which suffering is born. And Arjuna, the warrior whom he's speaking to, has a mental question that he, it arises that Krishna answers next, more or less. The mental question is, but I like it. <laughs> You're saying attachment to things is the source of suffering, but I like the things. And Krishna says, well, that's great, you can't keep it. Dukkaya, <laughs> he says, Ashashvatam. It's temporary, and you can't keep it. So the more you like it, the more the problem. <laughs> the bigger the problem. And this is what death is, and that's the only reason it's a problem. Because I like things that are killing me, that I can't keep. That's the death experience. It's just a perspective. Because nothing's yours anyway. So you couldn't keep anything to begin with. You're already dead. And it's not a problem. Hmm? We have to sort that out. Hmm? Hmm? So, this self, hmm? it's a problem for the materialist who wants to think it doesn't exist because it has maybe otherworldly implications. Hmm? Hmm? And we don't want to think like that because then there may be rules that we have to follow. And, and this is a crude way of speaking about it, obviously. But I think some of those implications are there psychologically in, in people who pursue a materialistic paradigm hmm? to some extent. Many good and honest people trying to sort it out and so forth and come to those materialistic conclusions. But at any rate, we have a different conclusion. Hmm? And it is that, yes, that self is not real. It exists. It's a mental self. Hmm? It's not a brain. But it doesn't endure, it's, and it's problematic for us. Try. But, while I am not this, and I am not that, in the Upanishads it is said, neti, neti, not this, not that, not this, not that. I, I am not this, I am not American, I am not that, I am not Bulgarian, I am not this male, that female, this, that, all pertains to things. I am hmm? not a thing. Hmm? Neither I am just a thought. Hmm? But I am. I am, as I'm speaking about it, is so much bigger than I am this or I am that. That is a very small, provincial idea hmm? that doesn't lend itself to being a lover. It lends itself to being a taker. It's in, it's in need. It needs to protect itself, to, to maintain itself. It's, 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 it's involved in a struggle. Hmm? So if we, are, if we are in that position, how can we love? How can we be a giver? And then we mistake attachment for, for loving, and oh, so problematic. Hmm? And no wonder we suffer. Hmm? 
and we give, but we, we didn't know how to give wisely, and it's not working. So maybe we stop giving and become frustrated. And, but then again, we are really living and moving for love, aren't we? Hmm? It is said, love makes the world go round. Hmm? We cannot rest until we find love, and we find love. It has a movement of its, of its own. Hmm? I'm only speaking largely about the reflection of love that we experience in this world. Hmm? But reflection has to have have some substance that that, that that reflects it. Are we to say there's no there's no meaning to life? There's no love to life? This is a very disappointing idea. And okay, if it could be supported and proved, but it can't. So why shall I attain it? And meanwhile, there are methodologies from days of yore by which we can start to move in a very different direction. Instead of moving in a taking direction, moving in a, in a giving direction and moving inward, it is said, go within or go without. Hmm. Think about it. The subjective world of experience. Hmm. How much bigger is that than the physical world? As I said earlier, the world of matter doesn't even matter if it isn't for the subjective world. Hmm? But we have so little experience of it. But that's the soil hmm? that we come from. We're of that soil. We are subjective. Mind is quasi-subjective, form of subtle matter. Hmm? But there that quasi-experiential self forms, but then there's but that's a self that's as I'm this or I'm that, and it won't endure. But I am. Hmm? That's another thing. Hmm? There's kind of a me, and then there's an I. Hmm? Hmm? And there's scope then for if there's in the I am, for what possibility lies there? Hmm? Beyond thought, beyond. Uh, things. Hmm? So we're starting to move in the direction of transcendence. We said that we began but as above, so below. So now we're going to move into the subjective world, hmm? the world of consciousness proper, beyond mind, beyond thought. And there are, as you know, there are methodologies for this. Meditation is about this. Meditation is has many side benefits and so forth, but meditation is really about moving beyond thought. It's not about healing your emotions, which is an important thing. We are all wounded and so forth, and we wound one another, and that's the nature of the beast here, unfortunately. We can make some relative improvement on that and be relatively better people and take less rather than more. But unless we start to move beyond thought itself, hmm, we can't be fully a lover because we're still going to be Identified with a self that has necessities, needs. You know, even psychologically speaking, it's not a, a good idea to pursue a relationship if you're too needy, right? That's a recipe for a problem. Hmm? Relationships are about giving more than they are getting when you, when you really get into one. Um, so, we need to be full to be a lover. And I am this or I am that, this is a very small idea. Hmm? After all, let's look at it for a moment. I'm, okay, I am, let's say I am, I mean, I'm not, uh, but 
just to use a modern example, say I am Palestinian, hmm? uh, then okay, great. Now you've got you know you got an enemy right not far away called an Israeli, and it's a problem. Or I'm an Israeli, and I've got a you know. So these identities, you see, they this is the problem with them. Hmm? You press down here, it comes up over here. Hmm? I'm not against altruism and philanthropic activity; these are good and noble things, but to make a comprehensive solution of the problem, hmm? we have to rise above things and thought and enter the subjective world entirely. Hmm? And having done so, which is possible in this life, hmm? we can be a really meaningful member of the world hmm? who exemplifies, teaches about hmm, the ground of being that we can get our feet on and ultimately learn to dance on there. Hmm? So, what is the nature then of that transcendence? Okay, we've moved away from things and even from thought and we say there's an I am. It sounds profound but it also sounds kind of vague. I am. Okay. I be. I exist. And I love it. I love to exist, in other words. Uh... I'm not going to die. Death is a, is a myth. It's a perception only. Hmm? I'm experiencing that I'm a unit of eternality. After all, I'm not a product of the brain, hmm? nor that psychic matter. So all matter, whether it be psychic or physical, is constrained by time and space. If I'm not matter, then I'm not constrained by time and space. That means I have no beginning. It means I have no end. We want to talk about what enlightenment is, what spiritual life is. We don't have to get too lost in, in too much, you know, fancy thinking. It's the experience that I'm eternal to begin with. The experience that I exist to such an extent that I have absolutely nothing to fear. Fear means anxiety. We live in this world with some trepidation, some anxiety that we might not exist at some point. Hmm? real and tangible experience through transrational practices like the kirtan, meditation and so forth, there are a number of disciplines, that effaces the material ego, the mental ego, of I am this or I am that, effaces that and allows the, 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 the metaphysical self to, to surface, the I am. And the beginning experience is I am eternal. I have no beginning. I have no end. You cannot imagine, I mean, we can only really talk about it, how, what that's like. It hmm? doesn't really fit between the, the ears. Hmm? But in a word or two, in a phrase, it's the end of all fear. All needs. Hmm? Now, you could kind of dig that. You know, you could, like, you could love it. You could, I, that, I'm loving it. I, I'm indestructible. I'm I'm a unit of enduring existence. Hmm? And that's pretty happy compared to I'm a unit of existence that's, being, that's hunting and being hunted and, and, and it's very troublesome. Hmm? Yeah. A very different experience. So there's a kind of a bliss, if you will, to that of like, ah, I am. Hmm? Just like let's say you're diagnosed with cancer. It's a huge problem. The doctor says you've got, you got 
two months to live. You've got to tell your kids, you've got to tell your husband, you've got to tell yourself, and so forth. It's a huge problem. And then the doctor called, the nurse calls, says, sorry, we were reading somebody else's stand. You're okay. And you're, ah, that's blissful. Let's have a pizza or something. You know, do some, <laughs> I'm alive. So, so something, so the, the sense that they, the sense, and I mean the deep and profound experience that I am eternal. Hmm? Accompany that is, is, is joy that knows no bounds. Hmm? A joy and a knowing, a kind of knowing. I don't, you know, you could have that knowing and not know how to build a jet, a jet plane. There's a lot of things you wouldn't know, but you would know they wouldn't need to be known. Hmm? I know that I am. Hmm? So in Sanskrit, of course, many of you wise people and acquainted with Eastern traditions and so forth, we, we talk about these three things Sat, who knows? Chit, Ananda. So sat means being, means real, means it doesn't transform, hmm? like through birth, maturation, uh, progeny, dwindling and dying. All these our present self experiences this, hmm? identified as it is with 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 the body. Hmm? So sat, the self is sat, the I am is sat. It's chit. So it has a kind of knowing, as I said, that's just like, well, I don't need to know anything else. This is this is this is completely comforting, hmm? and 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 bliss. Satchit Ananda. We are a unit of Satchit Ananda. This is a basic description of the self in the sacred texts of the Hindus, hmm? and it can be experienced. Hmm? Now. I want to go a little bit further from this because we want to know the nature of transcendence. And what I, my idea is here, this is the beginning of transcendence. This is the entry level. You've killed the killing tendency in you. You've killed your material ego. Hmm? You've given a death to that false self. Hmm? And, and out, of this, out of the rubble, if you will, the deconstruction of the ego and the whole perception of the world derived from that, hmm? This real self has come out, and it's just so nice. She's peaceful. Hmm? Shanti, shanti, shanti. Doesn't want anything, doesn't need anything. Hmm? Political, economic solution to everything. You know, all the problems are solved. Hmm? They're all solved. Hmm? If we put this forward as a political platform, you know, meditation, and I will make meditation mandatory in every school. <laughs> but no one will ask you for that. But it's true. Hmm? So this is the solution to wealth inequality, <laughs> to find, bring real equality to everyone. I mean, very good relative solutions are good. We have to deal with them to some extent. But hmm? we should have some appetite for a comprehensive solution to the problem. Hmm? We're human beings. Hmm? What makes us different from, from less complex forms of life? The very fact that we can ask questions like why. Do you understand? Why is a qualitative question. Why am I? Why? Purpose, meaning, value. This is qualitative, not quantitative. Velocity, weight, density. This is matter. Hmm? In the less complex forms of life, consciousness is not facilitated as much in those incarnations, if you will. Hmm? 
So there's an evolution of consciousness through different species, is the idea. Hmm? According to the species you have, the consciousness is shaped, it is given shape. Like if you drive a BMW and I drive a Volkswagen, we both do the same thing, but you can go faster than I can because you've got, you know, and people go, wow, that's a cool car. <laughs> Whatever, you know, so um, they might say that about the Volkswagen over here. Rightfully so. But, um, but in, a, in an animal body, in a plant body, Vedanta view is panpsychic, so this consciousness that we're talking about is beyond thought and, and things, is everywhere. Hmm? And it, 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 it's, it's individual too, there are individual units of it, hmm? right? And by a moral law, if you will, hmm? a dharma, karma, it takes different shapes, different bodies. Hmm? And in the less complex forms of life, they're less complex in an overarching sense because this thought has not, is not coming, this psychic matter is not as developed, and then the why questions aren't coming. How questions, how to eat, how to sleep, how to mate, how to defend myself. Hmm? It's all built into nature. Every species has a built-in system for defending itself. But in a human form of life, we have this question, why? Oh, God, it's a problem. And kids ask it. Why? And then you say, don't ask that. Don't ask. I used to ask that question. It's just like too hard. You know? I'll just do the how things, okay? Hmm? But that's not to live a full human life. Hmm? Hmm? It's meant for asking those questions. And those questions are questions that the natural world, matter, can't answer. Because it's quantitative, not qualitative. It's non-experiential. Hmm? So those questions have to be answered by consciousness itself. That's coming, coming to the fore in human life. So it makes human time so special because we can think about why am I? What am I? And we, we all sense that there's more to life than what meets the eye and the mind. Most of us. Freud used to say, I get these patients, they have this oceanic feeling. Hmm? I don't get it, he said. (laughs) Poor guy. (laughs) That there's meaning to life, more value. Hmm? What is it that, 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 what is the more? And the Vedanta says, it's you. You are the more. You are. And everything else is not in that it's here today, but it's, but it's gone tomorrow. The world's constantly transforming and the shapes, and sh- and you're observing it. Hmm? When I was a young boy, young man at 20, 22 years old, I used to sit, I used to live in Santa Cruz Mountains, and I would sit and think, what will I do? What will I be? And then I would follow these thoughts, and all of the thoughts, I, they, they all came, to, I could be this, I could be that. And they all fell short of, like, they just don't quite make it. I could be a doctor, I could be a lawyer, I could be, maybe I couldn't, but I could be something. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and um, you know, I was a dropout, I had no education, but I used to think, what, what will I do with myself? And as I began to think, I thought, who's thinking about being something, something? What is the I that's thinking about being a thing? And how degrading is that? <laughs> Why should I be a thing? I'm already an I. Hmm? Why should I look outside to be something when I am... What gives a thing, makes a thing what it is, in a sense. Hmm? I name it. I, so what is the I? Well, then I began to look within. That was about, I don't know, over 40 years ago. So, 
a good. It, there's a there's quite a journey on the inner landscape. I want to say it's quite fairly occupying, <laughs> and <laughs> exciting, and prospect and possibility and so forth. Hmm? Hmm? And in a basic sense, this experience that we want really through meditation and you know it's hard to do because it's hard to control that mind you want to meditate but the mind's going somewhere else so it's really a lifestyle spiritual life is really a lifestyle how you walk will determine how you can sit hmm? so we walk in other words and we do all kinds and then, then we then we go to sit you know and well yeah, and then we're thinking about I did that and what does it mean why did I do that what, what, what was the value of that anyway it's just kind of like Entertaining myself, you know, but it's it's now it's getting in the way of my meditation. So you want to you know tweak it a little bit your lifestyle. That it, if you believe in these things, if you want to pursue these ideas hmm, in such a way that your sitting will be facilitated. Hmm? And if you can still the mind hmm, and repeatedly and for a, for 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 an enduring period, this this self starts to emerge. Hmm? This more that you are. And again, the beginning experience is, I'm eternal. Hmm. I have no beginning, I have no end. And it's a kind of knowing and a noetic bliss. Hmm. Now, that said, that, if that is transcendence, how is it that that transcendence, which is the above, is like the below? It sounds entirely different than the below, doesn't it? Hmm. Here we are running around doing things. We think we're, 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 our cognitive functions are determining our physical actions and, and we're doers and um, uh, qualitative experiencers, not just beers, but um, uh, and we, we apprehend things, we grasp concepts. We're kind of talking about just like apparently leaving all that behind and just being. It sounds cool, but it's rather abstract also. And I would kind of describe it as loving to be. You know, the bliss of it is that I be, and it's very quiet and still. And there's no, but there's there's no like there's no other in that experience because the other was all based on well, this and that. But you were American, and I was. A, you know, we're all different. The mental self, each one is individual and unique and private, and so we're all different. We're, so the other became was a problem. I did away with the other. Hmm? by doing away with the self that thinks there's another. Hmm? <laughs> and so, there I am, peaceful. And I'm loving to be. But the question is, that's, that makes sense, but it certainly doesn't fit with the adage that we began with from the Tantra, as above, so below. Hmm? So how can we have an above that's like the below? And now, I'll, I'll be short on this, because it's hard to put into words, but... I'll try. Hmm? We said we can come to loving to exist. Now I'll ask you a question. What do you think is better? To love to exist in the way I'm talking about it? Like, wow, I am. Hmm? I'm loving it. Hmm? I'm probably kind of putting it in simplistic terms. But what is better, to love to exist or to exist to love? Uh, it's a no-brainer, right? <laughs> it's a no-minder. <laughs> you don't have to think about it. <laughs> right. So, that means this, from what we're talking about. Is there, a, is there anything beyond being and the knowing that I be and loving that? Hmm? 
That means to say, is there any movement in transcendence? We were at a non-movement. We ended movement, the movement of this world, which is all taking hunters and hunted, and we ended that. <sighs> we're peaceful. Now, it, and it's reasonable that if you're full, why move? If you're complete, then you have no... As long as you're not complete, it means you need something, you have some desire, so you've got to move. Very practical. Material life is troublesome. As soon as you want something, and that's what it's all based on, wanting, because we have a sense of being incomplete, having identified with matter, which is here today and gone tomorrow, so then we get to struggle. As soon as you want something, ah, you got to work. you got to get up. So some transcendentalists wisely reason that transcendence is peaceful still. It's very different than material life, which is this bracing around movement and, and so on and so forth, and uh, uh, kind of like just circular and samsara and so forth. So if you're full, if you have no desire, then why move? Hmm? But my experience is that there's another kind of movement. One kind of movement is the karmic movement that we were talking about. The more you move, the more you owe. Hmm? <laughs> it's like you borrowed money from the bank. Oh, I got all this money. And then you, you read the fine print, right? That's 30 years, you know, mortgage will be, interest will be like this. So in material life, the more we move as takers, which is inevitably how we move because we identified something that, with something that needs, hmm? therefore we owe, we owe. So now the debt's cleared, you can sit still peacefully. But there's another kind of movement. What is that? The movement of fullness. In other words, you could be so full that you didn't need to move for anything, but you had another necessity. Which was that? What was that? To celebrate the fullness. Hmm? Like, I don't need to do anything, but let, let's have a party. I mean, like, like, like to celebrate. Hmm? So you see Krishna, for example, in art depicted... He is Nietzsche's God who said, if there's a God, he'd be a dancer. Hmm? Hmm? Movement. Brahman is the word for transcendence. The Brahman, to identify with the great one. Hmm? That we are like, our, are like a spark of hmm? the fire, the Brahman, which is everywhere. Which is all-knowing omniscient, omnipresent. These sound like cool ideas, but they're very different from our present experience. And they're problematic, too, in another sense. Why? Because if you know everything, then you can't really do anything. You'll be checked. I already know what's going to happen. <laughs> okay. And if you are everywhere, then you can't go anywhere. Because <laughs> you're already there. You can't go anywhere. So you can't move. Hmm? Hmm? And there'd be nothing to find out. Hmm? So Brahman is like this. It's a phase of transcendence, a face of transcendence hmm? that's still and quiet and blissful in an, in an abstract sense because it's the bliss of knowing I am. Hmm? But, and that can be arrived at by certain disciplines. Now the discipline that I'm in uh, uh, involved in is a bhakti tradition, right? Mm. Bhakti means love, really. So it's it's to approach reality through love. 
Grover Cleveland said, if you love someone, they would tell you all their secrets. Isn't it true? Hmm? So to approach reality hmm, as if I'm a part and with love towards the whole. Hmm? Like this, you know, what do you do when you love somebody? You sing about them, you know. You hear the song and you think of them and, you know, you have your own meaning to it and and you dance in the shower. Hmm? <laughs> it, yeah, so so the, this approach speaks about a corresponding aspect of transcendence where loving to be is not the focus, but being to love. In other words, I'm a unit of ananda, of satchitananda. Ananda means bliss, it means love. But if I am to be fully experience my potential as a unit of love, it stands to reason that there needs to be a significant consciousness other, if you will. Because obviously I can love myself, and but if I can have someone else to love, and we can become one in thought and so forth, the, Love is measured on a scale of reciprocity. So the more there's reciprocation, hmm, the more the two become one in a dynamic sense. If I love you, then you and I remain, but you and I are now we. You follow me? We is kind of a dynamic unity that doesn't cancel out you or I, but somehow causes a unity while maintaining a diversity. Love is like that. Love, you want to be unified with someone and you want your own space at the same time. Hmm? Hmm? Love is about, you give me your heart, which where all your desires are, and I'll take it for myself, and you take mine. Hmm? So there's you and I, we just changed hearts. That's all. Hmm? So now you're only doing what my desires are, and I'm only doing what yours. So there's still you and me. So I'm talking about a different kind of unity. You know, you want to have unity with the Absolute, with our Source. We talked about a still kind of unity, where I've come like to the shore of transcendence. Ah, and it's big. It's, it's, I don't need to go anywhere. I'm everywhere. I don't need to know anything. I, I know what needs to be known. I am, and I be, and it's blissful, and I'm, and I'm on the ground of being. Hmm? But, is there any dancing on the ground of being? This is the question. Hmm? This is the idea. And the, the, the art and so forth, that, and the philosophy that depicts Krishna, this is what it's speaking about. That Brahman that's everywhere is now moving. Now, how that is hard to figure out. How can, how can that which is everywhere move? Hmm? And the answer is that there's a force that, that has the power to make to do the impossible. Hmm? To make that which is everywhere move. To turn faults into ornaments. Mother said, she had a son. He was blind. They said, oh, your son is blind. She said, oh, let me see him. And then she named him Lotus Eyes. If you're blind, your eyes don't look particularly beautiful. And the lotus is the symbol of beauty in Indian aesthetics. Hmm? 
Why is she calling a blind son lotus eyes? Hmm? That is the power of love to turn faults into ornaments. Hmm? Who's who's right? He's blind. She she doesn't have beautiful eyes. Hmm? She's seeing it in a different light, right? Love has the power to do the impossible. Therefore, as I said earlier, love, and we all know it, love knows no reason. It transcends reason. What is possible reasonably is one thing. What is possible by love, that's another thing. I mean, the very idea that giving is getting doesn't make sense, but it is our experience. Reality transcends the limits of reason. Hmm? We need to learn how to give only, where to give, and how to give without expectation, and to find the source to give, to we can take. That is the idea of Krishna in the art, depicted as the taker. He's the enjoyer. Hmm? A fellow said to one of my students that he was a Christian monk, he said, in our Christianity we have the real idea of God. Your idea is false. He said, really? Why is that? He said, well, our idea with Christ is a God and he's a sacrificer. And your God is an enjoyer. And enjoy, <laughs> being the enjoyer is, you know, ugly. Hmm? So I replied when I heard it, I said, that's very good, but you have to tell him that in order for Christ to be the sacrificer, there has to be somebody he's sacrificing for. <laughs> there has to be some center, and it's not ugly. Only trying to be the center when you're not, that's ugly. That's unbecoming. That's a problem. But that there's a center, that's not a problem. Hmm? And when we look closely at the center, it's a giver. Hmm? The stomach is giving the food, as I said earlier, to every part of the body, in a way that no other part can. Therefore, give the food to the stomach. Give the water to the root. And all the flowers and branches and twigs and fruits will be benefited. Hmm? And so we have we 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 need a a methodology to our madness of entering transcendence. It's a loving methodology that corresponds with a loving absolute, which will have to have movement. I said earlier, materially speaking, that we move in this world in search of love, and we cannot rest until we find it. And when we find it, ah, it has a movement of its own. And it goes like this. Ah. Hmm? Lila means Brahman is moving playfully. If you're everywhere, then there's nowhere to go. That's a problem. If you know everything, again, omniscience is a problem. How does the Godhead solve the problem of omniscience? What? Do you, it's boring. I know everything. It's boring. I'm just you know, speaking about it in a playful way, but... Uh, <laughs> If the problem with omniscience is it's boring, what do you do when you're bored? Then you play. Hmm? So Brahman plays. Hmm? And and who is who is the what is the force beyond that play? Hmm? What is the force that makes that which is everywhere move? Hmm? We said this is love. Hmm? And love here means bhakti. Hmm? Bhakti in the in the literature is personified ultimately as Radha, whom we mentioned earlier, and who's sacred name we also invoked. Hmm? Radha is bhakti personified, has the power to make Brahman move hmm? and subordinate itself to the love for the sake of experiencing the fullness of love. Like I said earlier also, if the infinite and the finite are to have a union, that infinite is going to have to take a finite-like shape hmm? in order for there to be intimacy. Because if I say, I'm not, but if I if I was God and I said I'm God and you believe me, you'd say, Oh my God, probably and we'll move back. Hmm? So I said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. I, I you know, I want to get close to you. So my godhood, if you will, 
Hmm? My majesty has to somehow be, be covered. Hmm? And what's causing me to want to cover it? Because you love me so much that you don't want to love me at a distance where you are the worshiper and I am the worshipped and the, the, the distance between us is the worship. You want to bridge the gap. Hmm? How audacious you are. You want that relationship with me? Nobody wants that. People want things from me? Oh. <laughs> I give them. Hmm? People want eternality? Okay, take it. Be. You are, anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> no big thing. <laughs> you are. Hmm? But you want me? Hmm? You, or you want, you want me? You want, to, you want to worship me because I should be worshipped? Yeah, that doesn't do a lot for me, you know? There you are, and here I am, and there's nobody to talk to and share my experience. But some audacious people, they, think, I, they want to love you like a lover. What? I want to love you like a friend on equal terms, the God did. Hmm? Are these not aspects of love? Is this not what the world is about? Hmm? Is the world not moving out of parental love, filial, uh, romantic love, um, love between the teacher and the student, love with fraternal love, hmm? love in servitude, love in, in friendship, uh, love in, 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 in parenting, love in, in, in romance. These are the forces of the world, not electromagnetic force, gravity, strong, weak, nuclear. These are the forces. Ask any scientist in the lab when he's called and says, your daughter's, you know, has an appendicitis, immediately put everything down and run there. Your wife needs you, hmm? immediately. This is what the what's driving us. We are all pursuing love. And we may philosophize it doesn't exist, the self doesn't exist, but we can't, you can't live that, you understand? <laughs> you can't live materialism, it's impossible. Hmm? It's a walk, it's a talk that you cannot walk. Hmm? We are living and looking for love, and we're doing it in the reflection of the real world. And everything's backwards. So while we're looking for love, we're actually, we're all self-centered at the same time because the self that we're identified with in the mind is this construct hmm, that, that is needy. So moving beyond that to the real self, then, then we move within transcendence from, from loving to exist to existing to love. That is bhakti. So bhakti, for example, in our tradition, is engaged in for what purpose? Bhakti for bhakti. Hmm? Only. This is very interesting because the means then and the ends are one. And it stands to reason that if you want a spiritual end, you need a spiritual means to go there. Hmm? So in our school we have bhakti in practice. Then we have then there's another stage, a phase, bhakti and ecstasy. Hmm? Bhava bhakti. And then there's bhakti and prem, in love. It's all a development, like blossoms to flowers, blossoms, to fruits, something like that. Bhakti for bhakti's sake. And in bhakti, there is the culture of the perf- perfection of love in terms of the quality of it, selflessness, no, no expectation of return, and, and focused on the perfect object of love, a sense of, uh, uh, and, and that is the heart of divinity depicted in art, if you will, 
in the person of Krishna. So that's why, you know, you have Shiva, he's meditating, Brahma's got four heads, they got all, you know, Kali's riding on a tiger and uh, with a trident. And there's all, you know, meaning to all these things, of course, obviously. Krishna does nothing. He has no duty, nothing to accomplish, nothing. He, the only thing he wants is, he wants bhakti. He wants love. He's attracted by love. Hmm? He, he's a lover, he's a, like attracts like. He's attracted by love. He wants Radha's attention, something like that. And so many beautiful Leela's stories. And we sit in our ashram, we tell these stories from the, from the sacred text and so forth. And they're very endearing because they're very, a very human-like explanation of the Absolute, which enables us to connect and bond with the Absolute and transcendence through every one of our human emotions. It's a very interesting point. Like, in Christianity, for example, you've, I'm not against Christianity, it's another form of, of transcendental pursuit, but you have the Christ figure and and you know he dies on the cross as a resurrection, so he died for the sins, and so it touches certain human emotions like guilt, Oh God, he did that, and Mel Gibson, you know, wanted to let you know, you, know, you guys are guilty. <laughs> Get it together. So it, you know, and it, so it, 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 there's a bond there. But in, when we speak about Krishna, you find every human emotion is touched on. The leelas are there's just the Godhead, human-like, hmm? right? The infinite becoming like finite-like. In order for there to be intimacy, all the stories are the interplay of the absolute. Hmm? The, 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 the object of love and, the, and love itself hmm? and they touch every human emotion it causes us to bond when we hear this is God acting like this and it's really kind of far out <laughs> like, oh, I like that you know, it's like us I think like that. so it, it's, a, it's a very kind of a and it's a divine you know ig, divine kind of ignorance because the idea is in that realm of transcendence the fact that the God that is God is obscured or covered by the intimacy of love. Hmm? So the, the fact that you're with God, is, is, it's not even an, it's an issue. Like, he's God, okay, well, whatever. You know, my friend is God, good. You know, he's got a, that's cool too, but you know, that's a secondary thing. Something like that. So these leelas, depicted in art, music, poetry, these things are, so, they're, they're very powerful um, mediums for transporting us from the world below to the world above and a world above that's very like the world below. Hmm? All the types of love are there. Hmm? They're just centered. Hmm? On like, like food should be, you know, other parts of the body should be working to grow it and using the arms to prepare it and the mind to think about it and put it in the stomach. Hmm? So all the love is centered on the perfect object of love depicted as Krishna, who does nothing. Like He's not like any other gods. He has nothing to accomplish. He's not meditating even. Hmm? He's just kind of permanent like vacation, so to speak. Yeah. And so the idea there is that in order to play, you have to have power. If you want to take a vacation, which would be to play, well, you have to have some time off, you have to have some money in the bank. So who is only playing is all-powerful, hmm? is the idea. Hmm? So this is the, the center. And this is the form of the Godhead, if you will, that, that invites this type of approach. There are many forms, and, you know, and there are many, it, there's a varied experience 
of the nature of transcendence, all of which is ego-effacing, all of which is good and liberating and so forth. But if we want to follow this adage, that as above, so below, when we have to enter from the movement of karma to the movement of lila, karma is obligatory act, having taken, you owe, and lila is movement out of love. Completely voluntary, not only voluntary, but spontaneous, not calculated, I should love, but I, but like love is, there's no calculation. I should love her. Hmm? No, then you don't love her. Then you don't love him. Or not too much. Hmm? So, um, in this way we find that through bhakti and its culture, we can experience the, 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 the fullness, if you will, of transcendence, not only its eternality hmm? and knowing, um, but its loving in full measure, where the ananda feature <coughs> aspect of the soul is emphasized. Because after all, <coughs> this may sound like a small idea. You have this big idea, I am. Uh, you can't even talk about it. Just I am. Now we're talking about forms and shapes and Krishna. It's hard to get smaller. Seems right, hmm? but it's not like that. Because what's big hmm? is not space, but affection. If you love someone, you can live in a cave, right? You can live in the hollow of a redwood. Here, if you love someone, space and knowing, hmm? being and knowing become smaller when love is emphasized. You follow me? Hmm? And at the same time, a loving existence is the biggest existence. Hmm? We're talking about realms of affection. Hmm? The distance between Leela and Brahman, where God is moving rather than still, is affection. Hmm? It has to have specificity and shape and form. Hmm? The more you know about someone, the more you can love them. The more there are there has to be variety. There has to be love requires variety, differences, hmm? differences that aren't a problem, that ornament, that are the varieties, is the spice of life. They say. Hmm? So I'm talking about a metaphysic in which transcendence has unity, that hmm? overcomes the problem of diversity here. That is a mental construct. You think it's hot. I think it's cold. What is it? It's neither one. Hmm? But it has what overcomes that diversity, false diversity, it comes to the unity that we're all consciousness. And then within consciousness, there's variety that ornaments the, uh, the, the unity. It's like a concert. Yeah. There are many notes, hmm? not just one, all in harmony, hmm? all working together. So this then is an idea if you will, that corresponds with or plays out the adage I began with, as above, so below, to enter into a realm where there's parental love, friendly love, romantic love, movement, uh, and, and, and there's will also hmm? uh, in transcendence. So I think a lot of taking a lot of your precious time and uh, covered a lot of ground, so I'll stop there. I do appreciate your attention.
interest and the opportunity you've given me to say a few things. Some of the things I've said tonight I've never said before, so that I owe to you and your interest. <clears throat> Does anyone have a question? I'm used to this part. <laughs> There's too many things to <laughs> think about for the last hour. <laughs> Got to catch up with it. Yes, I'm sorry. What can we attract when we're below and we want to go above and there's no movement mm-hmm. and we're just learning to dance or yeah. move? How can we um, invigorate it more or make it happen? Right, yeah. How can you attract Krishna? Yeah. <laughs> it's not so hard, actually. Uh, I would say that, you know, if you want perfect knowledge, which would inform perfect action by which you'd be perfectly happy, you have to have a perfect method to attain that perfect knowledge. So I would say, you know, in a word or in a movement, that this is the way for perfect knowledge. It's a very, it's, uh, let's say, let's say, how can the finite know the infinite? By know means to understand, means to, you know, arrest, so to speak, to know it. I've got it. I've apprehended it. How can the finite apprehend the infinite? And that's kind of your question. In, in philosophical terms, I'm finite, and, I, and I, here I am. And, and how can I apprehend, gra- grasp, attract, bring within my, gra- come within the circle of the the infinite, know the infinite? How can the finite know the infinite? It seems like a mathematical impossibility. Mm, but no, why? Because. The infinite can do whatever it wants, right? That's the idea. The infinite can do the impossible. So if the infinite wants the finite to know, then the finite can know. So this is a different way about in, in, in terms of which we go about knowing and accomplishing things. It's kind of a backwards way. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of a, 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 a acknowledging of our dependence. We're kind of moving as if we're independent and we maybe unconsciously tend to look at things as through a certain lens as if it's all you know pertains to me and so you've got to reverse that thinking and change your angle of vision but um, but the chanting for example is is, is, is there's there, there's the mechanics of it and I'm not very good at it but but there's as I said you know beat the drum with feeling I was told so there's it's it's the um, the appeal. Uh, it's like this, you know. You've got a king, let's say, okay, and he's going to ride off, you know, into war and conquer, right? But he's got a young daughter, and the daughter starts pulling on his outfit or whatever, you know, and says, "Dad, you know, I want to ride a horse. I want to ride a horse." He's on his horse riding off to battle and she's pulling on his leg I want to ride a horse so this is a huge battle ahead right the king's ready to go the daughter's pull- so you know by the force of the daughter's appeal hmm, 
Hmm? Affection, dependence, necessity. Hmm? He gets off the horse, and he gets on all fours, and he becomes a horse. Hmm? You understand? So that's what you want God to do. Hmm? Become your horse. It's audacious to think about. But the, the, the more we really can acknowledge our dependence and necessity, so to speak, and we have a necessity, we're identified with a self that, that won't endure. Hmm? And so that kind of spirit, the, the whole of the bhakti tradition is like a cultivation of that uh, that, 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 that spirit sense of dependence and uh, spiritual kind of necessity, if you will. It's a kind of a crying, the chanting, kirtan. It's really a crying, a weeping of the heart for union with its, its source, something like that. The spirit behind. Does that help? Yes. A little bit? Okay. Anything else? Yes, sir. Wise giving. I mean, it yeah. seemed like there would be an entity, an invested entity there guiding that. What do you mean by that? An invested entity? Yeah, wise. It seems like wise giving, you're deciding where. Mm. It seems, so it seems like there's somebody there that's deciding, like, as opposed to unconditional giving. Right. I just, I'm not I, sure I understood what you're. Yeah, I think I understand your, your question. And these are, you know, my explanation is something you haven't heard, so terms can be um, understood differently than they are intended and so forth. My point there is that um, is that I give an example of the body. It's wise on the part of the hand and the tongue to work together to give food to the stomach. That's wise. Because of who the stomach is, hmm? um, if they decide not to, it becomes problematic for them. Hmm? So when I speak of wisdom here, what I'm speaking about is that there, the idea is that there is a center. Hmm? We're like a spark, and let's say the God is like, like a fire or something like that. Hmm? And so... Without understanding that, hmm, then I can give, but without knowledge of it's just in any instance. You let's say you want to give in charity, you want to give the best so that it can do the most, hmm, something like that. So you you know you, you figure out well you know this is a good charity because they really you know spread the money around or something like that. So so some. You have a head, and you have a heart. So you have to harmonize the head and the heart. You can't throw out the head in the name of the heart and say, I want to give unconditionally. I'm not going to think about it. I'm just going to give anywhere and everywhere to everyone. And um, and you're really not. I mean, you really. it's kind of hard to do that. Um, um, and will you actually be giving to everyone by doing that. Let's say, for example, I wanted to, I see a beautiful tree, so I want to, I want to just love it, and I, so I just pour water on the leaves. I pour water on the flowers. I pour water on the branches. Hmm? Without figuring out if, if I put it on the roots, the whole tree will be, be benefited. So the idea of unconditional love, to love unconditionally, um, 
I think really the full sense of the term requires some understanding of where by giving I can actually nourish someone. Like let's say for example, I love my let's say I love my daughter, okay? And I, uh, I, I a friend comes over and something happens. I say, can you hold her for a second? Okay? So he's holding my daughter. And meanwhile, I'm, you know, the milk is boiling over in the stove, so I'm dealing with that, right? So then my daughter starts to cry. So he's to, he wants to love the daughter, so he thinks there's a bottle over there. Okay, he grabs the bottle with the milk in it and gives the baby the, the milk because he wants to love her. But then I come in and say, ah, you know, or mother comes in and says, he's not crying because he wants milk. I just fed him. He's crying because she's got gas in her stomach. Hmm? So here's an instance where my friend loved unconditionally, but didn't have any knowledge hmm, to go with it. And so it, has, it had a counter, was counterproductive. Hmm? The spirit was good. Now, that said, if we try to give everywhere, in as best as best we can, you can't really avoid the head entirely. But it, but you know you, that spirit will hone in due course the object of love, and you will get wisdom. Hmm? Wisdom will come by loving, hmm? as to where I can give, and what what, what what quality such that it will become really comprehensive and unconditional loving. So. I think that there's a place for the head and the heart, and I think that we should we should exercise our head to soften our heart. Hmm? So, that, but there's a but. So one should leave the other, but there's but there's a place. Hmm? So I think that the problem with material life is well, if we don't know, for example, there's another way of talking. We don't know that what I am. Theoretically, is a self that's beyond things and thought, and I function only in terms of a self that's a mental construct. Hmm? And then from there, I take these ideas and want to give unlimitedly. It's a problem from the very beginning because it's not even yourself; it's a false construct of a self, and that false construct of a self is constructed out of the idea that I'm made of matter, and, and therefore I'm transforming, and I'm dying, and I need things, and so I have, invariably have to attach to my giving some taking, even if I don't want to. Does that help? Yes. Okay. That's a big subject. Uh, all right, so I think... Uh, we... So there's one more question that appears. Oh, goodness. <laughs> this is the one I won't be able to answer, for sure. Yes. And what? She, she asked, she wonders if we could have the zebus. Zebu, we have some cows at our ashram. They're zebus, I mean, that's an Indian breed of cows, but they're miniatures. You know, quite cute. She wants to have some. I'll think about that. Yeah. We do have a few. Yeah. If you can make a fence for them and make a nice pasture, then. Yeah. You like those, huh? We, we have that discussion. I think that's for the... I see. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Very good. So, what is the time? Uh, seven past
Okay, we're seven minutes late. Thank you very much. Thank you.